Welcome to the Experience Christian Church Message Podcast. We are a church startup based out of Exton, Pennsylvania, committed to giving the community a fresh start with God and with church. Our mission is to help people experience God's love in a practical way. We would love to connect with you. Would you text ECC info to 94000 or go to our website, experiencecc.org for more information and to learn how you can be a part of our community. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, friends. This is the final installment of our Experience the Wonder series that kicked off at Easter. For eight weeks, we've been reading through Mark's gospel and checking out the responses people have as they encounter Jesus. If you've been with us since Easter, I want to take you back to two definitions. The first one is apathy. Apathy is a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. And perhaps you've seen those demotivational posters before. It's like we're a beautiful photo with a not-so-motivating capture. Let me show you a couple here. First, it involves the workspace. If we don't care for the customer, maybe they'll stop bugging us. How many ever felt like that, right? Makes it easier. How about goal setting? No mountain seems so big if you don't care about climbing it. And then how about in nature? Sunsets. There was one yesterday and there will be one tomorrow. Ugh, don't they just demotivate you? Of course they do. The nature one's really funny to me because I live with someone who doesn't really care about animals in our backyard. Like I get excited whenever there is a groundhog or a fox or a hawk or a deer. How many of you are nature lovers? You can put that in the chat. Some of you are, right? And you know why you are, because God made those things and you love God, so you care about them. But someone in my family, I don't tell you which one it is, because you know, that's just not appropriate. They'll, I'll say, I'll see a deer out back. I'll say, hey, look at this deer out back. And she'll say, I've seen deer before. And she's not concerned at all. However, my daughter, she gets really excited when there's a deer in the backyard. Maybe you figured out who I'm talking about. Yeah, I'll let you figure it out. Don't tell her. But she's just apathetic towards wildlife. That's not a bad thing, of course. There's no right or wrong in caring for animals. But apathy? Apathy is one of those things that you're neither for nor against, right? It's just kind of blah. Apathy, I believe it's the enemy of a full life, an exciting life. And this series, Experience the Wonder, has been an attempt to fight apathy that we may feel about faith, and in particular, our relationship with Jesus. For those watching that have a relationship with Jesus, apathy can set in even if we have a good relationship with God. We just become so familiar with the details that we recognize that Jesus lived, that he died, he was buried, he rose again, and then we're just grateful, but we lose some of that gratitude. For some of you, maybe you're checking out faith, you're exploring what it means, and I'm glad you're here. But sometimes maybe faith is just kind of, eh, take it or leave it kind of deal, right? Well, I hope this series has stoked your interest and has created a sense of wonder for you. Maybe you've been here since the first week, and that was a definition I'd love for us to really examine, and it was wonder. It has a couple meanings. First, as a noun, wonder is defined as a sense of surprise or a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, something unexpected, something unfamiliar, or something inexplicable. This is being filled with awe, like when you see a sunset, and you're just taken back, or a sky full of stars, and you're just filled with this wonder of a child, we're all struck, right? Well, as a verb, there are two primary definitions. Wonder can be defined as a desire to be curious, to know something. Like you may wonder, how are the eagles gonna be this year? But it could also mean a feeling of doubt. You may wonder how the eagles are gonna do this year, right? We don't know what we're getting into. Well, over the last eight weeks, we've seen Jesus do beautiful, 
unexpected, unfamiliar, and unexplainable things. We've seen him heal a man with leprosy. This guy had an incurable skin disease that kept him isolated in every sense of the word. He couldn't interact with his family. He couldn't participate in religious activities. He was alienated from his community. It was a hopeless situation short of God's intervention. But he approached Jesus and he said these words. He says, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Well, Jesus, he was willing and then he touched the man who was considered untouchable. He healed him. And we saw Jesus' compassion on full display in that story. We then moved on and we saw Jesus forgive and heal a paralyzed man. Four men, they showed up carrying a paralyzed friend of theirs on a mat to Jesus for, the, for him to heal. But there was such a crowd at the home that Jesus was at that they literally had to dig a hole through a roof. They carried this man up on top of a roof and lowered him right on his mat in front of Jesus. Jesus saw their faith and he said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. And he had him stand up and carry that mat back home. In week three, we looked at Jesus healing a bleeding woman and bringing a dead child back to life. Then we talked about Jesus walking on water and calming a storm. We then saw Jesus cast out a demon out of a child despite his followers not being able to do so. And last week we discussed a faith that passes the test. Each week we've seen Jesus do things that are surprising, things that are above the realm of the natural. It's been awesome. Well, this entire series was designed for every one of us to see Jesus through the lens of wonder. Everyone has been encouraged to read through the entire book of Mark and just see how marvelous Jesus is. You saw him heal, teach, correct, rebuke, love, encourage, warn, extend grace, shock people with the truth. I'm convinced that you cannot read through this book of Mark and put yourself in that audience and remain apathetic. Jesus' actions demand us to make a decision for him or against him. And as we wrap up this series today, we're going to see those choices play out. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 14. I hope you've been using this if you've gotten this. And just because the series is over doesn't mean we won't send you one. This has been a great resource. I color, write notes all over it, and it's been great. We're going to be looking at chapter 14 today, and we're going to see someone embrace Jesus with reckless abandon. And this account is sandwiched between religious leaders and the disciple who betrayed Jesus. First, a little background on this chapter. We're looking at Jesus' final week. Shortly before this account, Mark records Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. The people received him like a king. They were waving palm branches. They were laying out their clothing, symbolizing a red carpet appearance, right? Next, Mark records Jesus making quite a disturbance when he cleared the temple, the holy place people gathered. He did this because of the corruption taking place within the sacrificial system. People coming from outside were coming to worship God, and those people were being exploited. They were being taken advantage of, and the people running the temple, they were taking in a lot of money. The religious leaders, they didn't appreciate Jesus making such a scene there. This also led Jesus to directly confront these religious leaders in his own teaching. So with that backdrop, let's begin reading chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. And it reads, It was now two days before Passover in the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Mark records this as two days before the Passover. Let's take a moment to discuss Passover. Look at the footnote in your life application book of Mark. It says the Passover commemorated the night the Israelites were freed from Egypt. 
when God passed over homes marked by the blood of a lamb while killing firstborn sons in unmarked homes. The day of Passover was followed by a seven-day festival called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. This too recalled the Israelites' quick escape from Egypt when they didn't have time to let their bread rise, so they baked it without yeast. And so here, this holiday, it included a retelling of the Exodus account, and it was this setting that Jesus chose to become the deliverer of not just Israel, but of all people. The religious leaders, they had enough of Jesus, and they had determined it was time for him to be captured and killed. But the timing wasn't quite right. They didn't want to do this act during the celebration because the city was crowded by outsiders. Scholars say that more than five times the normal capacity was now gathering in Jerusalem. And as we've been reading, Jesus had gained a lot of popularity among the local communities on the outside of Jerusalem. So therefore, it wouldn't be unheard of for a riot to break out if Jesus was captured. And despite how bad Jesus was making these religious leaders look, they knew they would need to deal with him cunningly. So Mark wants us to know plainly how despised Jesus was by the religious authorities. Now let's look at the transition in verse 3. It says, meanwhile, now clearly Mark is saying, meanwhile, while people were scheming to kill him, this was unfolding. Jesus was in Bethany, at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy, while he was eating. A woman came in with a beautiful jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. And so we see this happening here. We don't know a whole lot about Simon. We don't know who he was. Simon was a common name. Jesus had two disciples named Simon, Simon Peter, Simon the Zealot. And what sets this Simon apart was that he too was associated with leprosy. And we can easily assume that he received God's healing touch in order to be restored in the community. And therefore he's hosting this meal. Make sure you catch the contrast between the religious leaders in the beginning who were plotting Jesus' death and this woman coming in and expressing her love and devotion to Jesus. Mark wants to see this stark contrast. An alabaster jar that was mentioned, it was a beautiful and expensive vase with a long slender neck typically, and it was carved with translucent gypsum. The perfume was made from plants in India and was imported, and therefore had a great value. John also records this account and says it was worth a year's wages. Now, some bottle of perfume, right? That's expensive. Clearly to this woman, this was no ordinary anointing of oil. She was going to make a declaration. In that culture, kings were anointed with expensive oils. You would literally smell the royalty as they passed by. And rather than place a crown on the king's head, they would anoint them with oil. She may have been declaring him as king, or she may have also made this declaration that he's the Messiah, the savior or anointed one. No doubt, this was a special act she was doing, and she was doing it out of reverence for Jesus. So what do the others at the dinner table think? In verse 4 we read, some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume? It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. And there you have it. No good deed goes unpunished, right? People were indignant. The term is literally used to convey the snort of a horse ready for war. This isn't mild annoyance. This is a frustrated dad voice. What are you thinking? You ruined that. Did you know what we could have done with that? I'm not sure why Mark doesn't want to say who's upset at the table, but Matthew, he didn't spare the details. He says it was the disciples that were angry, Jesus' followers. This wasn't just a random comment or the text thread. This is Rick Warren or Charles Stanley, Francis Chan, Kyle Ogdeman, one of those preachers that are famous that you know, have a good standing reputation. This is people showing up and questioning 
her actions. Not only are they rebuking her, they're claiming the validity of like, why are you doing this? She's probably thinking, should I have anointed Jesus? Did I do something wrong? That was the burning question. Was this like burning $60,000 to keep him short, you know, to keep him warm for a little bit of time? What is she thinking? I think she thought this through. This wasn't a spontaneous action, meaning that she literally brought the jar to Jesus to anoint him. And so what did Jesus think of all this? Let's go to verse 6. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. I would imagine this was a big exhale moment for her. She could exhale, right? The attention now turned to the accusers. Why are you worried about her act to worship me? The poor, you're always going to have them with you. I'm just here for a little while. Let me be clear, Jesus isn't saying either or, either worship me or take care of the poor. He's not saying that at all. He's communicating, she's doing this for me today. And you can always serve the poor tomorrow. N.T. Wright, he said it this way. He says, not everyone is called to pour out expensive ointment over Jesus' head. But if someone is, the rest should respect it. Jesus goes on to say that her actions have even more significance. Look at verse 8. It says, she had done what she could. It has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. This little statement's packed with a lot of meaning. What she has done, anointing Jesus' body for burial. Jesus said many times that he was going to die, but they still didn't seem to get it. I don't think she knew what she was doing, but he used this as another opportunity to say he was going to die. And this is what he says. He says, everywhere the good news is preached, he calls this good news. He says, everywhere time this is preached, people are going to talk about this act. You guys chose to reprimand her, but people are going to be discussing this as a good thing about worship for a long time. Everywhere this passes on. That's significant. And then we see in verse 10, one last detail. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come, and they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. You know, we can only speculate why this scene set Judas's betrayal in motion. Maybe it was Jesus accepting a year's worth of wages, allowing it to be poured on his head in the form of perfume. Maybe he was thinking that was too much. This frustrated Judas, but that seems kind of petty. Maybe it was Jesus stating again he was going to die. And Judas was infuriated that Jesus wasn't, doing, uh, that, that Jesus wasn't going to lead a revolt, and he was disappointed in that. Maybe it was personal greed. John made it a point to identify the person at the table that made the statement about selling the perfume. Look at John 12, 4 on the screen here. It says, But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, The perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold in the money given to the poor. And then listen to this. Not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. That's intense, right? The person making the claim can also be the biggest violator of such a claim to care for others or the poor. He was literally stealing. The religious leaders, they were thrilled to found a way to capture Jesus. And the plan was initiated by one of Jesus' disciples. And so here we have an account full of wonder. On this end, we have religious leaders who seemingly never gave Jesus a chance and wanting to get rid of him. On the other side, we have a disciple who had seen Jesus do the impossible, 
yet he was unwilling to embrace Jesus' mission. He wanted Jesus to do something different than Jesus was offering. And then right here in the middle, we have this account of a woman worshiping Jesus. She was filled with awe. She was awestruck by him, and so she offered an extravagant gift to him. From this account, I want to offer you three ways to worship and experience in wonder. And as you worship, let's first, we need to focus on God. This woman focused on Jesus. She obviously had a heart full of gratitude for the things that Jesus had done in her life. We're not certain who she was. Matthew and Mark do not provide her name. However, we have reasons to believe this was Mary, the sister of Lazarus, the Martha, because of John's account. If it was Mary, she is the one who had her brother resurrected, brought back to life. You can find this account in John 11. She had been grieving the death of her brother Lazarus for four days. He had been, in, he had been buried, and then Jesus brought him back to life. This certainly would have been a reason to worship. Maybe this woman also knew Simon, from which the party was being held. He had leprosy. Maybe she reflected on Jesus healing him, and her heart filled with joy, and it was overwhelmed, and so she worshiped Jesus because of that. You know, I like that Mark keeps this woman anonymous, because it allows us to insert ourselves into this narrative easily, right? Why should you worship Jesus personally? You know, make a list, not of generalities, but of specifics. God, thank you for creating me. Thank you for loving me for offering your life for me. Thank you for my family. Thank you that this week I got to celebrate my son Ian's 16th birthday. Thank you for this church. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Now what if I throw my hands in there and I say, thank you, God. Some people get a little crazy when you throw your hands in the air. That's why we need to focus on Jesus. As you worship, focusing on God is important. Don't let others distract you from worshiping Jesus. You know, some people are eager to criticize you for the way you worship. Maybe you're thankful and feel like closing your eyes or tilting your heads, tilting, I'm uh, oh, sorry, lifting your hands, giving up your time, singing a special song, offering a poem, doing an interpretive dance. Maybe you want to do something to honor God, but you are nervous about being in the spotlight. Maybe you don't want to be criticized for being too much. Well, if you think the thing you're thinking about would honor God, you need to do it. If you think you want to offer uh, the thing you want to offer God is good for the community, then don't be afraid to do it in front of the community. You know this, but I'm just going to say it. When you worship Jesus, it's really about you and him. And think about why you're doing that thing. We all have to keep ourselves in check, right? It's easy to think, well, am I going to look good in front of people if I do this act? Or am I going to look silly in front of people? But what we should always ask is, what's my heart in this situation? If you're worshiping out of a pure heart, you can't go wrong. We cannot do too much worship. No act is extravagant. When we keep our focus and act on worship for an audience of one, which is Jesus, that's a wonderful thing. You know, she didn't give extravagantly in order to look good. This woman, she gave extravagantly because her focus was on the extravagant one. Let me say that again. She didn't give extravagantly in order to look good. She gave extravagantly because she was looking at the extravagant one being Jesus. Her giving was a response, not an attempt to get anything back in return. And from the story, we also learn don't be critical of someone else's act of worship. You know what business is it of yours? If someone else is honoring God a way that makes you uncomfortable, maybe you think they're doing too much. Maybe you see an act as over the top. Maybe you disapprove of the person committing the act of worship. You're thinking, I don't know if that person actually is sincere. I don't know if they mean this. You know, I want to take your attention to another story. It's an anointing story found in Scripture, and it's in Luke chapter 7. You can read that along on the screen. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Then a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there. 
She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling the debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. You know, maybe your criticism of someone else's worship is connected to a lack of your own appreciation for Jesus. These Pharisees in this story, they were critical of Jesus and this woman. You know, it's hard to worship God like this with your hands up when you're standing there with your arms crossed, isn't it? Why are you critical? We always need to check our heart when we're critical of someone else, right? Maybe you're not grateful enough. Maybe I'm not grateful enough if I'm just thinking like, what's that person doing? Maybe our skepticism is directed towards them, or maybe our skepticism is towards God. Faith like a child is accepting God's will, even when we're frustrated by an outcome. For this reason, we worship God even when things don't go like we wish they would. When bad things happen, you can cross your arms and say, God, why is this happening? Why are you doing that? This isn't fair. This doesn't add up. Arms crossed is a protective defensive posture, right? You're protecting your vital organs. That's why you're standing like this. Put arms up before God says, God, I worship you. I've exposed. Your heart's exposed. Your vital organs are exposed. And you're just saying, God, I trust you in all these things. Whenever someone else is worshiping, don't be critical. Let's go back to that quote I mentioned earlier. Not everyone is called to pour out expensive ointment over Jesus' feet, but if someone else is, the rest should respect it. And that takes me to my last point. Let me say this about worship. Calculated worship may cost us more than we think. Let me say that again. Calculated worship may cost us more than we think. And what do I mean by calculated worship? Whenever we think about compartmentalizing our lives, like this portion's for work, this portion's for my family, and this portion's for God, We get into trouble. Reflect for a moment on the greatest commandment. Pastor Anthony preached it last week. And what does it say? Love the Lord your God with some of your heart, with a tenth of your soul, and with a little bit of your mind, and just a pinch of your strength, right? No. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. You know, God's not looking for some of you. He wants all of you. All of you. 
Until we understand that everything is God's and all we have is to be used in worship, we're going to keep the focus on balancing our giving. The disciples were quick to criticize this woman for giving such a large portion to Jesus and neglecting the poor. But Jesus knew the focus was on him, and he honored that her heart was full of devotion towards him. They were actually running the math, weren't they? That's a year's worth of wages, they said. And what they were doing is they were functioning with a scarcity mindset, like God had limited resources, just like they did at the feeding of the 5,000. Do you remember what they said to Jesus when he told them to feed the crowd back in Mark 6.37? Jesus was teaching this large crowd, 5,000 people, not counting women and children, had gathered there. They tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, it's getting late. You need to send them to the neighboring villages so that they can eat. And Jesus said, you feed them. And rather than ask a question or speak to Jesus in faith, they did some calculating. Look at verse 37. He's, they said to him, the disciples said to Jesus, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? You can see how their minds work, right? These are Jesus' closest followers, and they have a scarcity mindset. Their response to the woman wasn't focused on the worthiness of Jesus. They were focused on the worth of the perfume. They actually did the calculation in their head, and they said, we could feed a crowd of 10,000 men, not counting women and children, with that bottle of perfume. They doubled that crowd size, right? When he said a year's worth. Now, if you're a calculator, which admittedly I am at time, there's a couple things I need to do. One, I have to focus on the worth of Jesus compared to the worth of my sacrifice. You know, if I get hung up on what I could do with my money or my time or my time or my talents, rather, I can easily shrink back. I can give reluctantly or safely or just do a percentage. That's not really a good strategy, is it, if I'm really trying to worship? To close myself off from other opportunities, you know, like if an opportunity presents itself, and I'm like, well, I've already given this portion. There's nothing left for me to give. That's a big problem. If I close myself off for other opportunities, you know, they were with Jesus, these disciples. They were with Jesus when a different woman made an offering to God. It was the woman who put in two coins and asked for some change back, right? No, I'm messing with you. Look at this account in Mark 12, 41. There we read, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I'll tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has to live on. Check out that comment in your commentary there on the bottom there. It says, The widow gave all she had to live on, in contrast to the way most people handle their money. When we consider giving a certain percentage of our income a great accomplishment, we resemble those who gave a tiny part of their surplus. Here, Jesus was admiring generous and sacrificial giving. And then catch this. It says, As believers, we should consider increasing our giving, whether of money, time, or talents, to a point beyond convenience or calculation. You know, I can remember a time when I was in high school, when I was at a youth convention. They would show this video on the last day, and we were considering, like, uh, they, would, they would present the offering as an opportunity to first receive. And I remember opening my wallet and thinking, it's Sunday, it's the last day. I'm just putting it all in there. 
and just emptying all I had in that plate. And I wonder how my heart was then versus now, because now I have more money, right? I have more money now than I had in high school. And I appreciate the challenge from that commentary when it says to increase our giving money, time, or talents to beyond convenience or calculation. It's a helpful reminder for us, isn't it? There's a tension to manage. How do we give fully without being mindful of what it may cost us? I'll tell you, there's a couple things that help me. A helpful reminder to, again, is to not focus on what I'm giving up, but rather, whose glory am I giving to? Another thing that's helpful for me to remember is whose money, time, and talents are they really? Are they mine? Is it really my time, my money, or do they all belong to God? Let me provide you with a silly example. Let's say I give you this candy bar right here. I hand you this candy bar, and after I hand it to you, you look at it, and you're like, oh, okay, cool, that's a serving. That's wonderful. You're excited about it. And then I say, hey, would you share some of that with your brother or that guy over there? All of us may be like, but this is just one serving. I mean, really, I, I like to eat the whole thing, right? I, I, I hate having just a little bit. And what if I said, hey, give me a little bit back and I want you to share it. And, and now you're thinking, what's that going to cost me? That's a third of a serving. Like, what can I really do with that? Is it worth having? And maybe we get frustrated. Now, what would happen if instead of that one, I hand you this one, right? Like, what would you do if I handed you this candy bar? This isn't one serving, it's 45 servings. You're like, wow, that's a lot. I'm willing to share some of that. Well, here's what my point is. We never need to worship God out of a scarcity mindset. Wonder what it's going to cost us or what it's going to cost us to serve others because everything we have is God. God needs nothing from us. God doesn't hold anything back from us. And we need to be mindful that he gives us enough to give away out of a heart of worship. We don't have to calculate percentages. We can give fully as an expression of the love he's given us. All of our time, treasure, and talents, they all need to be used for God's glory. Not a part of them, but for all of them. And so let me just remind you that as you worship, focus on him, not on others. Don't be worried about what they're thinking of you as you do something. Stop thinking about others and judging their worship when you're standing next to someone who maybe is has their hands in the air, or they're seeing fully, or they're offering so much sacrifice. Don't compare yourself to them. Focus on Jesus. And lastly, stop thinking about percentages. Trust God to direct you to love him and to love others. As you give to him, you're loving him, and it's an act of worship. As you love others, you're worshiping him also, indirectly, because he loves that person you're with. So here's what we need to do. We need to give fully, to the God that gave everything for us. Be full of wonder and go out and do wonderful things in his honor. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to connect today and to fight against our apathy. For we just can, can read your scripture, read your word, and just be, eh. God, fill us with a sense of wonder, with a heart of gratitude. If we find ourselves apathetic, God, let us think that how great you are and the great things you do in our lives. God, when we're thinking about worshiping you, help us to stop thinking about uh, with a scarcity mindset, but God, to be willing to invest in you out of love and devotion in our hearts. Thank you for giving everything of yourself to save us. We love you, God, and we're thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to take communion right now together, and we're going to reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made. The next meal recorded in Mark was the one when he celebrated the Passover meal with his followers, and he told them, to keep taking that Passover meal as a, in a different light, 
to see him as the ultimate Passover sacrifice. So at this time, you can go ahead and grab both those elements. What this meal reminds us is that we owe God our everything because he gave of himself in order to reconnect a broken relationship with God the Father that we had. And so what we do is, those of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we take two elements. First is a piece of bread, which represents Jesus' body. Let's take this at this time and remember his sacrifice. And then let's take the cup, which represents the blood he shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And if you'll join me in prayer. God, we thank you for all that you do, and we thank you for that sacrifice that you've made, allowing us to reconnect with you. God, please guide and direct us. Help us to know what it means to love you and to love others. God, to look at serving through your example, where you held nothing back. And so, God, we love you and we're thankful for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, friends. It's been great connecting with you. Give you an update on a couple things. One is we're trying to transition towards live streaming. So next week or the following week or the following week after that may look a little differently as we're doing some testing on that. If you have questions about live streaming, please email me at matt at experiencecc.org. Let us know what you think as we're on this journey. We truly care for you and want to see what's best. Also, there are so many ways to connect, whether it's through serving at Good Works, connecting in some of our social events, or even today, if you can make it to the Boy Scout Center for a meal at 11.15, we'll be there until 12.15, 12.30, so don't be afraid to come late. Thanks so much for being a part of today's service. We look forward to connecting soon. Thanks for joining us. We hope something you heard today will draw you closer to God and encourage you to know Him better. If you found this message podcast helpful, please subscribe, write a review, and consider sharing it with someone else. If there is anything we can do for you, a question we could talk through with you, a prayer we could say on your behalf, or a need you have, please don't hesitate to let us know. We are better together. Please connect with us soon. Take care.